So, as you know, we are in a series that we started last week. In fact, if you missed last week, I would encourage you to go back and watch it because I think it was pretty good. Um, that's kind of a joke, but we do want you to go back and watch our services. Uh, we give you that opportunity that's on social media and on our website, and uh, anytime you miss something, you can always go, go back and see that. But uh, we're in a series called Death and All His Friends. We're actually talking about uh, sin and some of his buddies, you know, that try to pull us in to their devious clutches in our life. And, uh, you know, this has the potential to make us a little uncomfortable sometimes when we talk about sin, but as I said last week, there's no better place to talk about sin than in the church. Amen? Because when we talk about it in the church, we know that this is a safe place, and we know when we are convicted of sin that that's actually a really, really good thing. Conviction is a wonderful thing. We can't, get in, we can't be saved without being convicted of our sins. So there has to be conviction that comes, but conviction is always to bring restoration. It's always to bring freedom in our life. And so uh, we feel it was important to talk about sin in the church, in our life, and and the tendencies and the pressures and the obstacles we have to dealing with it in our life. So last week we talked a little bit about uh, just kind of an overview of sin and how basically sin is really just us missing the mark, but also about how important it is that we get our, our stance and our theology and our doctrine on sin that we get it from the word of God not from our prejudices or our leans in our life right and so this week we're going to talk about specific sin we're actually going to talk about uh, sin's best friend in fact these guys have been best buddies ever since the fall in the garden we're going to talk about pride today and uh, you know pride is one of those things that it's never fun to really deal with our own pride you know a week ago, standing here, I would have told you I was a pretty humble guy, but after studying pride for a week, I feel like, is there a worse human being in the world than me? <laughs> because when we start looking at our own heart, we start realizing, wow. But again, the conviction of God is always, always to bring us closer to him. It's always to make us more like him. As I said last week, this series is not about us sinning less in our life. You know, we're trying to be a better Christian. It's about what it looks like to live victoriously for him. To, to live in the freedom that he has given us, the freedom from sin, not the freedom to sin. But we have to have an understanding of what that looks like to be able to do that. My text verse for today is out of 1 Peter 5, and uh, this is the last time I'm gonna have you stand until at the end we'll do it one more time. But if you'd stand with me again, please, just in honor of reading God's word. 1 Peter 5, verses five to eight. It says, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. One of the key phrases in there that we're going to focus on today is, clothe yourself in humility. The title of my message is, Are You Wearing That? (laughs) Would you pray with me, please? Father, we love you today. We thank you for this word. We pray that our hearts would be good soil for your word to produce fruit in our lives today. God, as we talk about pride today, Lord, help us to open ourselves up to allow you to shine your light because we know that it is for our good and it is for your glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. God bless you. You can be seated. You know, this passage here is really meaty. In fact, just reading that text that I read this morning, there's at least three memory verses in there. 
You know, I don't know if you took memory verse when you were a kid, but uh, I know three of them from my childhood because, they're, uh, because they were specifically uh, pertinent to our life, right? And uh, they give, they, these verses give us a command, a promise, and also a, uh, something that can scare us a little bit too. But I want to start, first of all, with the, the promise. Um, the, I'm sorry, the command that God gave us. And it's where I got my title from. The command is to clothe yourself with humility. Clothe yourself with humility. This is an interesting choice of words here that he uses because it kind of paints a picture for us, doesn't it? He's telling us like humility is something we actually wear. It's something we put on. It's not about trying to act more humble in our life, but it's about something that would actually envelop us, something that would become part of who we are. He says to clothe ourselves with humility. You know, the fact is we're all wearing something in our character. We're all wearing something. The question is, what are we wearing? The Bible would tell us to wear humility. Clothe here, that word clothe is a reference to a garment that slaves would wear back in the day, almost like a scarf, but probably more likely like an apron that a slave would wear, and it would be a specific type of apron that would distinguish them from other people, whether other free people or other slaves. It would let people know who that person belongs to. Very interesting choice of words Peter's using here because it's the same way he's saying, clothe yourself in such a way that others will know who you belong to because you are wearing humility. It's beautiful. You know, it's funny because when we read, when we read the scriptures, we can just fly through it and read it, and we miss so much sometimes. I even do when I'm reading sometimes, but when you start to look at it deeper and you see the context of the words that he's using, you see that when he says clothe here, he's actually saying clothe yourself in humility so that others will see who you belong to. It's beautiful. We clothe ourselves in humility and people see that we belong to Jesus. Because see, here's the thing, humility's not normal, right? Pride is what's normal. We are a proud people. It doesn't matter where you're from, it doesn't matter how old you are, it doesn't matter how you grew up, your socioeconomic status, your, your education, uh, your race, your gender, it doesn't matter, we're born proud. We're born thinking certain things that don't line up with the word of God. So it's not normal to be humble, it's actually normal to be pride, proud. And it takes painstaking effort to actually live a life of humility. This says to clothe yourself, you know, I'm sure putting on an apron wasn't very painstaking, so in that respect, this analogy doesn't work well, so maybe be more like us getting ready for our, our football game. I, I played peewee football when I was in uh, fourth and fifth grade. I played a couple years, and the worst part of it was putting on all those pads and getting the shoulder pads on, and then getting that shirt over the shoulder pads. That, that took three people and a horse to get that shirt on over shoulder pads, right? That's more like what it looks like probably to clothe ourselves in humility because we're actually, it, it's not something that's natural for us. It's something we have to work hard at in our life. And whether we like it or not, the way we clothe ourselves tells others a lot about us. Even in the natural, it tells a lot about you. You know, if you wear clothes, certain kind of clothes, people would assume you're a hipster. You wear other kind of clothes, people would think you're preppy. If you wear certain clothes, people would think you're southern or you're country or you're gothic, right? Or you're athletic. You know, the clothes we wear to some degree tell people a good bit about us. There's even certain things like when Joy wears certain clothes, there's certain colors that she wears that when I see it, it really strikes me because 
she looks really good in certain colors, I think. So when I see her in that, you know, I might take a second or a third or even a fourth glance at times, right? I'm allowed to do that because I'm her husband, so. Amen. But it also works in the reverse. If we're wearing something heinous, we can make an impact too. We can make an impression that's not good. I remember one time I was in my closet getting dressed for church. This was actually years ago, many years ago. And uh, I found a sweater that I hadn't worn in a long time. In fact, I think it was a sweater Joy bought me when we were, before we were married. But I liked it, and I hadn't seen it, so I was so excited. I put it on. I came walking out of my closet, and she saw me, and she did a, a double take too, but not for the right reason. She, she said, oh, no, no, no. No, no, no. You're not going anywhere with me in that. I said, why not? She said, it's old, it's outdated, and it's ugly. So we probably ended up taking it to Goodwill, and there's probably a hipster wearing it now. <laughs> it's vintage, it's right. <laughs> mm. So what we wear makes an impact, and what we wear in our character makes an impact too. Not only makes an impact in, in our life, but it makes an impact in the lives of those that God has put in our life. You know, it's no secret that society is steadily walking away from the church, steadily walking away from faith, because we are the representation of faith, and we're causing many people to walk away from that. Now, it's not all our fault that society is rejecting faith and rejecting the church, but there is some culpability on our part, right? Maybe it's because society is not seeing a church dressed in humility. Maybe they're seeing a church that's wearing pride, or arrogance, or looking down our noses at people thinking we're better than them. You know, or maybe they're seeing a church that's just pretty independent and self-sufficient, and they see that we're not, we don't really need our God either, which is more of a cultural thing for us maybe, right? What we wear matters, and other people see it as well as we can see it in our own life. And see, the thing is, God's heart is for the lost, right? God's heart is for the lost. We know that from the word of God. It's very clear that his heart is for the lost. It said, Jesus said that he would leave the 99 coins to go find the one coin that's lost. He would leave the 99 sheep to go find the one sheep that's lost. When the lost son comes home, the, the father runs to him and puts sandals on his feet, a ring on his finger, puts his robe on him, kills the fattened calf, and they have a party because God's heart is for the lost. So when we're not clothing ourselves in humility, we could be a hindrance to the lost coming to Jesus. And that's his heart. So it's important that we clothe ourselves in humility. Part of the reason God hates sin so much is because it separates us from him and it also separates others from him. We talked a little bit last week about how sin, you know, it brings death in our life. And it's not, it's not that God hates sin just because he wants us to be good, nice, and, and more godly. He hates it because of what it does. It separates us from him. As we allow sin to, to fester and, and reside and live in our life, it actually creates this chasm between us and God. It's the whole reason Jesus had to come, or why he did come and die on the cross was to pay for that sin and bridge that gap between us and God so that we could be in relationship with him and so that we could walk with him, so that we could know him and he could know us. That's the whole reason for it. But when we allow sin to, to live in our life, whether it's in the form of pride or whatever it is, it creates that chasm. And what happens is sin, when we give ourselves to it, it just starts to snowball in our life. Right, I mentioned last week where, you know, let's say you, do a, you commit a sin, you know, whatever that is, and you know it's something that you should have done and it's grieved the heart of God. The first time you do it, you feel pretty terrible, right? The second time you do it, you feel bad. 
The third time you do it, you don't feel great. The fourth time you do it, you don't really care anymore, right? It kind of snowballs, and that chasm just grows wider and wider in our life. And that's exactly what the enemy wants to do. That's, that's exactly what his plan is for us, is to just get a, get a foot in the door so he can kick that door open and cause us to be giving ourselves to our own carnal desires rather than giving ourselves to God. Somebody said one time that's, that uh, the enemy is a lot like Netflix and Facebook and YouTube, right? Not that those are the devil, but maybe they are, I don't know. <laughs> uh, but the, there's, there's some similarities there because like when you, if, if someone sends you a video on YouTube that you watch, you know, maybe it's a, a video of a tornado that someone got on camera, right? And so you watch this video on YouTube. Well, the next time you go onto YouTube, all of a sudden there's all these videos in your feed about weather, right? Or if you watch a Netflix video and ladies, you watch a romantic comedy, and the next time you log into your Netflix, there's this whole row of romantic comedies. You know, Netflix is basically saying, hey, you like this, maybe you'll like these. YouTube is saying, oh, you like this, maybe you'll like all of these. They're trying to get you to stay on their platform as long as possible so you see as many ads as possible so they make more money, right? And that's their, that's their prerogative. That's capitalism at work. Praise God, let them do it, right? But the enemy does it in our life too. He says, oh, you struggle with pride? Oh, well, maybe I can do all, maybe I can give you all this and put this in front of you so that it can actually help feed that pride. Oh, you think less of yourself, which by the way is still pride. You think less of yourself than others? Well, good, maybe I can bring some people in your life that can make you feel even worse, right? Or you feel, you feel like you're better than everybody else? Well, good, I'll bring some lowly people into your life to make sure you keep feeling like you're up on this perch, perched up on your pedestal. The enemy does the same thing. He watches us, he's cunning and clever. He watches what our weaknesses are, and then he fills our cue with all these things that can help keep us in that place and just make that chasm between us and God wider. But God wants to bring that chasm together. He bridged it for us. But we also have to walk that out in our life. We can't just give ourselves to the sin that would so easily entangle us. James 1 says, in verse 14, it says, Each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. So you see it's growing here, desire, sin, and then sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. There's a progression there in our life, and that's what the enemy would want to do in our life and cause us, cause that chasm to grow. And frankly, when it comes to pride with the enemy in our life, it's like shooting fish in a barrel for him because pride is something that we all deal with on some level. If I asked everybody in here to stand up today that's, that has to deal with some pride in their life, we would all have to stand if we're gonna be honest and if we're gonna be self-aware in our life. And frankly, the reason it's so much of a challenge for us is because the outworking of pride in our life is the root of almost everything we struggle with in our life. It all is rooted in pride. Not seeing ourselves as God sees us or seeing ourselves as less than what God sees us or seeing ourselves as more than God sees us. So much of the struggles in our life are rooted in that exact thing. In fact, C.S. Lewis said in his book, Mere Christianity, he said, the essential vice, the utmost evil is pride. Unchastity, anger, greed, and drunkenness, and all that are mere flea bites in comparison. I love his analogy. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice it is the complete anti-God state of mind. 
It's the anti-God state of mind. Any pride in our life is pushing us away from God. We have to be careful because society says pride is good. Society says we should be proud of ourselves, proud of what we accomplished in life, right? And there's a satisfaction that can come from things we've accomplished, but we always have to be giving the credit to God because everything is from him. Every good gift is from him. In him, we live and move and have our being. The very air in our lungs is from him. And we as Christians, if you're a Christian in this place today, you know that. And so there's no excuse for us to be walking in pride. And it's so dangerous because pride is so hard for us to see in ourselves, right? It's easy for us to see it in everybody else. I can see all your pride, but I can't see my own nearly as easily because we don't really want to see it. Somebody said pride is like bad breath. You know, you don't know if you have it, but everybody around you knows, especially those close to you. They really know, and they don't want to stay close to you. Pride does the same thing. It causes those close people not want to be so close in our life. So it's very important that we have an understanding of it, a recognition of it, because one of the scariest statements in all the Bible is in my text verse this morning, and it is something that should make us tremble. And it says, God opposes the proud. Now, I cannot imagine a scarier verse for me as a Christian to read that God opposes me. That word means to resist. He actually resists me if I allow pride in my life. That's scary. It puts us on the wrong team is what it does. It takes you off of God's team, puts you on the wrong team because God is resisting you. He's opposing you. You know, I remember years ago, we had a church basketball team. We were in a church league here in town, and uh, we weren't very good, but, uh, you know, we had fun. But there was always this one team we played from this one church. I'm not going to mention the church, but we played this team, and they were, they were stacked. They always had really, really good players. And we just knew that night the goal was to not lose by 50, right? If we lost by 30, we basically won. So it was fine. But one day, we were here at church, and one of the players from their team was in our church on a Sunday morning. And a couple of the guys from our team came up to me. They said, so-and-so is here. And let me tell you, we made a beeline for that dude. Made sure he felt welcome. I mean, we wanted to make sure he knew he was welcome in this place. <laughs> and sure enough, he started coming to New Hope, and he joined our team. And, man, it changed everything. Suddenly, we came into the games with a little bit of a swagger, you know? Like, I'm nothing, but look at this guy, Right? And it, cha it changed our attitude. It changed how we he even made us play better, right? Because we had somebody from the other team that wasn't opposing us anymore. Well, let me tell you, as intimidating as playing a team of a bunch of guys that can, you know, push you around all over the basketball court is, how much worse is it to know that you're playing on the opposite team of your God? To know that he's opposing you. To know that he is resisting you. Church, that should make us tremble. And let me tell you, I know we're in the age of grace, and everybody wants to talk about grace all the time, and I believe wholeheartedly in grace. I believe that we, we do not get what we deserve, that we get favor from God. But let me tell you, there's still aspects of this walk of faith where there's times where we should be trembling. There's times that we should have a reverent fear of God and who he is and the potential that there is in our life to run away from him, the potential to create that chasm, the potential to allow sin to fester in our heart to the point where we become calloused towards God. We're not immune to it. it. Happens all the time. We see it in scripture where people that loved God and gave their life for Jesus that walked away because of pride in their heart. So we're not immune to it either. So there's aspects where we should see stuff like this where it says God opposes the proud. That should make us wake up. 
That should make us say, okay, God, whatever you got to do, shine your light on my heart. Whatever area I'm allowing pride to just fester and grow and, and multiply, you have permission to expose it in my life because I don't want anything that will cause you to have to oppose me. And I know some of us might say, well, he doesn't really mean that. He's not really opposing us. Something got lost in translation, right? I'm a Christian. Jesus loves me. I want to tell you today, Jesus is big enough that he can love you and oppose you at the same time. He will not compromise who he is. He will not do it. Pride separates you because pride elevates ourself and puts us in a place that only God is allowed to be. That's why he has to oppose us. He will not allow us to elevate ourselves because he is the only one. He is high and lifted up. He is above all. His name is above all. At the name of Jesus, the Bible says that our knees should bow. So we're taking the lowly place. And if we're taking a high place, and we're allowing pride to put us in a place where we think we're higher than we should be, we have, we've given God no choice. We have forced his hand. And you might say, well, that's not fair. Well, I would agree with you, it's not fair. There's plenty in the Bible that I read and think, well, that's not fair, God. God never said he was fair. Okay? If we got what was fair, we would all be on the fast track to eternity separated from him. So let's not look at just what's fair. Let's look at what the word says and, and look at the truth of what he expects and who he is in our life. See, there's, there's a lot of difficult things in the word of God when you read it. You know, we, we only want to hear the high points and the things that really encourage us. We like the bumper sticker material, right? That all things work for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. You know, I can do all things through Christ. I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord, plans to prosper you. Those are the beauties. Those are the ones you have plaques of and frames and you put them on the wall in your living room. I love those. But we also have to adhere to these over here that Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. If you love anybody more than me, you're not worthy of me. And that I oppose the proud. We have to know that's the same Jesus that said that as the one that said really, the really cool stuff that we like to tattoo. It's all part of who he is and we have to be aware of it. And we know that God opposes the proud, but it's not to push us away, it's to reveal it to us, church, so that we can deal with it or allow him to deal with it in our life. So you might say, well, what is pride? What is it? Isn't pride just people that brag about themselves and think that they're better than everybody? No, that's, not, that's one aspect of pride. But the, like I said, most of the things we struggle with in our life are rooted in pride. You struggle with anger? That's rooted in pride. Because you're, you're not getting something, you, you don't think something is right. You, are, you think you deserve something different, and so you're angry. You have a short fuse, a short temper, and you think, well, that's just because my dad was that way, my grandpa was that way. That's rooted in pride. If you're a complainer, you like to complain about things. You have, a, you have the, the gift of complaining, which doesn't exist. That's rooted in pride. If you're sitting here today and you're thinking, man, I wish so-and-so was here to hear this, that's pride, guys. That's pride. You might think, well, you know, what about somebody that's really quiet, you know, really, you know, just really quiet, never does anything kind of meek, and that doesn't necessarily mean they're not proud. Pride, they might just not speak much because they're afraid that they'll be wrong if they talk or that someone will make fun of them. They're taking that extra low position. That's not what Jesus died for. That's still pride. It's false humility is what it is. And then there's probably the biggest litmus for us as to whether or not we have pride in our life 
is that spirit of independence. That independent spirit that is so celebrated and worshiped in our culture, right? About being independent. And, and don't get me wrong, there's an aspect of being independent from your parents when you grow up that's a good thing, being independent where you don't need you know, government assistance your whole life and things like that. Those are good things, you know? But there's an independence we have where we feel we're independent from God, where we only need him for certain things. God, you know, I, I, thanks for the salvation. You know, if I, if I get in a financial jam, I'll let you know. You know, if I got some health concerns, I'll let you know. But other than that, I can kind of take care of my life. Let me tell you, this, this is the one that I struggle with by, by far the most, even in ministry. I can, I can, I'm a problem solver, so I can think all day about how I can fix things and how I can work harder and I can make things happen even in the church. And the Lord convicted me of that this week, that, that that's not at all what I want you. I want you to be completely dependent on me for everything. How can you say that in, in, in me you live and move and have your being, but then you're going to figure all these other things out yourself? It doesn't mean we don't work hard. It doesn't mean we don't put our hand to the plow. But it's about where our, our, our perspective comes from. It has to be about understanding and knowing that we need him desperately. We see that in the church body where we, we have this independence. You know, COVID-19, this pandemic has kind of made it worse where we're really seeing that a lot of people don't feel a need to be connected to the body. And I tell you guys, that's just unbiblical. I mean, the, the Bible is clear. Paul says in Corinthians that we are all part of the body. The hand can't say to the foot, I don't need you. You know, Hebrews tells us, don't forsake the gathering of yourselves together. We are called to be together because together we're stronger. And to say that I don't need that, to say, ah, it's not that big a deal, that's pride in our lives. It's absolutely pride. We are called to be together, to be connected, to be part of the body. Part of the reason we don't like to be together sometimes is because maybe we're afraid somebody might get to know us more than we want to let them know. That's pride. It's scary to let people in. But the Bible's clear. We're, part, we're called to be part of community. I mean, we're even working hard at that in the church. And let me tell you with this, pandemic it has made it exponentially more difficult to have community and to even cultivate and build community even in the church body you know but it's why we're having these fellowship dinners we had one a month ago in fact our next one is a week from tonight and the one we had a month ago was beautiful we had like 120 people in the student center over there having a meal together and just it was very very simple introverts loved it and extroverts it's about connecting us together you know we're there's a coming out of a pandemic coming out of a transition in leadership in this church there's a lot of new people a lot of new faces people that don't know each other and one of the best things we can do to really be connected together is just to be together right and get to know each other a little bit so that's why we're even doing these meals so i encourage you next week a week from tonight we're having another one we're even we're making it as easy as possible we're even paying for the food guys can't get any easier than that i mean the only thing else we can do is come pick you up we don't have a bus, so you have to drive yourself here. But, man, we encourage you to be part of that. It's so powerful and effective in our life. We're not meant to be independent, but we're meant to be interdependent with each other. Wearing a garment of pride costs us so much, church. It costs so much. It costs us intimacy with our God. And let me tell you, there's nothing in this world that's worth losing intimacy with him. I've, I've lived this walk of faith long enough to know there's nothing sweeter than being intimate with Jesus. Nothing sweeter. 
I mean, it is the greatest thing in the world to be able to be in his presence and know that he is pleased with you and that he loves you. But there's also nothing more bitter than being in that place, and I've been there too, where you feel like he is far off, where you feel like there is something blocking you, where there's something that's causing him to have to oppose you. There's nothing worth giving up the intimacy that he wants to have with him, and I don't wanna do anything in my life, even though dealing with my pride is painful, it's still not worth keeping it and losing that intimacy with him. It also could cause anxiety. I'm gonna take you back to my text verse because you know we all deal with anxiety on some level, and my text verse talks about anxiety, and it almost seems to be kind of random. Like, like Peter's just kind of throwing that in because he says, you know, God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. Humble yourself, therefore. And then the very next sentence by, is like, also cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you. It almost seems like he's changing topics, but he's not. It's not random. The reason he says that there, I believe, is because if we are hanging on to pride in our heart, God is opposing us. Let me tell you, when God opposes you, that is an anxiety vacuum in your life. I mean, you could just feel it coming in. That's exactly what happens, and that's why Peter is saying that we have to cast our anxieties on him because there's a connection there between our pride and anxiety. In fact, I would suggest to you today that anxiety in our life is rooted in pride. Because pride is all about myself. Pride is about me, and 99% of our anxiety is about me. You might say, oh, no, no, I worry about my kids. That's still about how it will affect you, right? Because you don't worry about kids you don't know over in Russia because it doesn't affect you if something happens to them, right? We only worry about the people in our life where if something were to happen to them, it will affect me. So it's all about pride. It's all about self. And so our anxiety is even rooted in pride. Church, this could be a revelation for some of us. You might be praying, asking God to take your anxiety away or help you with your anxiety, but you got all this pride, you got this, this terrible perspective about who God is and how he sees you. And if that's the case, you're not dealing with the root. You're only asking him to help you with the symptom, which is worry and fear and anxiety. But we can cast that anxiety on him when we're walking in humility, when we are clothing ourselves with that apron of humility that God wants us to have in our life. Let me tell you, you want peace, you want victory in your life, you want, you want to be free from worry and fear, let God deal with your pride. And you will see peace come in like a flood in your life. We also risk being devoured, is what the scripture tells us. That's a pretty tough word there. He says the enemy is looking for someone. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. It's the same thing, it seems random again. Like he's going from humility and pride to anxiety, now he's talking about the devil wanting to devour you. It's all connected. It's all connected because when we allow pride to fester in our life and God is forced to resist us and oppose us, we are fodder for the enemy. It's exactly why Peter is saying this in this verse. And it's, it's enlightening for us to know that one of the ways we fight the enemy in our life is to let the Lord deal with our pride. That's actually pretty cool. You ever feel like, you know, I don't even know how to fight the enemy. I don't even know. You know, I could say a few words, but I just don't feel like I really have uh, traction when I try to resist the enemy in my life. Let the Lord deal with your pride. That's one way. At least that's what Peter's telling us here. And some of us are feeling that right now. But see, this is the thing, that the apron of humility that we would wear it, it distinguishes us from others and lets people know who we are. It also is protection for us because it also 
identifies us with Jesus. And it's not a suit of armor, but it's more powerful than any suit of armor you could ever wear. If you're being identified with Jesus because you are clothed in humility in your life, because God stops opposing you and gives us his grace. You see, as scary as that first part of that verse is that God opposes the proud, the next part is as beautiful as the first part is scary. Because it says he gives grace to the humble. God is looking for opportunities to pour out his grace on us. He's looking for people that are wearing his apron of humility so that he can pour out his grace in our life. And it's not about being good enough. It's not about being, being, looking a certain way so that he can give us his grace. It is about clothing ourselves in humility. Well, what does that look like, right? That's a fair question, because I even ask myself that. What does that look like to clothe myself in humility? Well, I think Jesus gives us some insight into it. In Luke 18, verses 10 to 14, these are the words of Jesus. He says, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other one a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. You see pride right there, right off the bat. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. (laughs) It's very passive aggressive, wouldn't you say? I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. We get the key to what it looks like to clothe yourself in humility, to take the stance of this tax collector. By all accounts, church, by all accounts, this Pharisee was a much more godly man than this tax collector. The Pharisee even said he fasted twice a week. He didn't say that he lied. He fasted. He gave, a tithe. He gave his tithe. He wasn't an evildoer or a robber or an adulterer. In fact, the Pharisees, most of these guys started off well. They started off wanting to honor God, right? But it just got to this place where they just had this religious spirit. But by all accounts, socially, the Pharisee was a lot better than tax collector. You know, tax collectors were usually corrupt because they were responsible to collect taxes from the people and give that tax money to the government. The way they got paid was anything over and above the tax money that they were required to collect was theirs. So they were corrupt, and they would take more than what they had to take, and they would threaten people. They were, they were kind of the lowlifes of society. So this guy was societal, societally, he was a lowlife. The Pharisee was the upstanding guy. Yet you see the pride just oozing out of this Pharisee, don't you? It says he prayed about himself. You can almost see him standing there like pretty, really pop, proper and probably had a suit and tie on, you know, if it would be today, and nothing wrong with suit and ties, but... You know, he's, he's got everything just right. His hair is perfectly combed. He's got a huge Bible. He knows how to talk in King James. I mean, he is the man, right? Yet Jesus said he did not leave that prayer time justified. Jesus shows us what it, what, what it looks like if we want to be justified. It's not about being perfect. The tax collector was not perfect, but he took the stance. He took the, the position of humility. And that is what Jesus honored. He said, this is the guy that's justified. And let me tell you something, church, don't ever think that we are incapable of being a Pharisee. Every one of us has Phariseeical tendencies in our life. Every single one of us. 
The more we, I mean, I don't know about you, but when I read my Bible, and if I read a couple extra chapters in the morning, I feel pretty good about myself, right? Or before I was on staff at church, like going to church and having good attendance, felt pretty good about myself. Give a little extra money in the offering, yep, God's pretty pleased with me today. When you fast, I mean, that's the hardest time to not be proud. Man, I fasted for three days. Woo! Ah, God is pleased. Thank the Lord. You're welcome, Jesus. Right? We don't say it out loud, but it's in there. Don't act like I'm alone. I'm, I'm looking at a big old mirror out here. That's all I'm looking at. So don't fall into the trap of believing the lie that you can't be like a Pharisee. The religious spirit is strong, church. It is very, very strong. I came out of it. And so I know the tendencies, and I'm very sensitive to it, but I can still fall into that. We all have that tendency. Jesus is saying, take the stance, take the position of humility, where we come before God and we beat our chest and we say, God, I don't even deserve to be in your presence. I don't care if I fasted for 40 days. If I just came off of a fast and I gave every dollar out of my checking account to the poor downtown, I still don't deserve to come into your presence, Jesus. I still don't deserve your mercy. I still don't deserve your grace. I still don't deserve your favor and your faithfulness in my life. I don't deserve any of it. I deserve to go to hell. But thank you, Jesus. Thank you for all of those things that I don't deserve, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. That's how we clothe ourselves in humility, church. Never, ever get to that place where you think you deserve to come into the presence of God because my Bible's leather-bound, and I've read it, and I've got highlights all through it. You still don't deserve it. We come boldly into his throne of grace because of what he did, not because of what we do. Mm, thank you, Jesus. All right, I gotta finish, because we're running out of time, but I wanna give you two very quick action items. So what do I do? What do we do? How do we approach clothing ourselves in humility? First of all, we have to be aggressive, towards pride in our life. Don't hope that you're gonna get more humble. Never gonna happen. Never gonna happen. And don't just even pray, God, help me to be humble. That's part of it, but we, gotta, we got parts to do on our part as well. In fact, Jesus showed us the attitude that we are to have in his Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes in Matthew 5. He says, hey, if your right eye caused you to sin, gouge it out. If your right hand caused you to sin, cut it off. Don't let anything stand in the way of you and your relationship with Jesus. Now, obviously he was talking metaphorically, okay? But what he's saying is we have to be aggressive against sin in our life. We have to be aggressive against pride in our life. If your social media is feeding your pride, whether it's that low pride or the high pride, cut it off. Good Lord, God forbid one of us didn't have social media. <laughs> it's not worth it. It's not worth it, church. Whatever it is in your life that's causing you and is, is feeding the pride, is, is causing it to grow like mold in your life, whatever it is, cut it off. Cut it off. He says be aggressive against it. We have to confront pride like our life depends on it because in many ways it does. Don't just leave here today and think, that ah, was a good sermon. What are we having for lunch? And never think about it again. Because you'll be, if I preach this sermon three months from now, you'll be feeling the exact same way. We can defeat pride in our life. We can live victoriously. Not to say we'll never struggle with it, but we can live in victory over it. But we have to be aggressive. 
Jesus said in Luke 18, verse 14, look what he says. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. He's, he's saying here, in other words, humble yourself or I'm gonna do it for you. Your life depends on it. Don't let society dictate how we approach pride in our life. Pride is celebrated in society, in, in culture, in politics, in entertainment, in sports, everywhere. It is celebrated. We don't do that in the faith. We walk in humility. And the other one, the other action item is be persistent. Not just today, but every day. Every day, clothe yourself in humility. If you have to, if you have to buy a robe that you hang in your closet that has humility embroidered on it and bedazzled, Whatever you gotta do, put it on to make you remind yourself about it, do it. Whatever we gotta do to clothe ourselves in humility, it is something that is learned in our life. Something we learn day by day by day as we grow in our relationship with him. And here's the thing, church. Most of the time, humility in our life is cultivated through suffering. It's through difficulty in our life. It's through trials in our life. That's why James said that we can consider pure joy when we face trials of many kinds, because the testing of your faith produces perseverance. You know what perseverance produces in your life? Humility. So a lot of times it comes through the suffering in our life. And you know what? None of us like to suffer. I'd rather God just let me humble myself. You know, if I can just humble myself, I'll be nice and gentle with myself. You know, I'll encourage myself. You're doing a great job. You know, man, are you humble? <laughs> I don't think that's humility though, I think it's pride. But you know, we wanna humble ourselves because we don't really wanna suffer. We don't wanna go through those things. And as much as I hate suffering, and I'm sure you do too, I hate pride even more. We have to hate pride in our life and we can't skirt over it like it's no big deal. Like, well, I'm not as proud as that guy. That's not gonna work when we stand before our maker. We can walk in humility in our life. You might say, well, I just don't know if I'm at that place where I can be that dependent upon God. Because see, that's what, what trials, what suffering, what it does is it produces a deeper dependence on our God. You might think, well, I'm not, I don't know if I'm really at that place where I can do that. You know, I'm, I'm good with a little bit of dependence. You know, can't I just, just have, use them for the things I need them for? And, you know, I mean, I'm here at church, you know, isn't that enough? If I'm doing some things, I can tell you Jesus wants it all. He wants it all. And he said very clearly, if we do not humble ourselves, he will humble us. We have to hate pride more than we hate suffering. And I'm not saying we're gonna go looking for suffering. But those things, I know those things that have happened in my life that have come upon me in my life that have caused trials in my life, they have produced humility in me. They will do that if we allow it. It can produce more pride if we don't allow it. It can make us hardened. A hard heart is just pride, that's all it is. But God will want us to take us to that place where our dependence is on him and we're walking and clothed in the humility that he longs for in our life. Would you stand with me please? I wanna pray for us today. I wanna invite you to pray with me. I believe the word of God demands a response in our life. I wanna encourage you, if you wanna to come to the altar to pray, you're welcome to do that. That would be a very appropriate thing to do today. But I'm gonna pray for us all, and I encourage you if you wanna stay in your seat and you wanna bow your head or you wanna kneel at your seat or you wanna 
lift out, hold out your hands just as a form of surrender to God, whatever you want to do, but let's, let's respond as we pray. And I just encourage you, church, to open your heart. If God is convicting you today, if there's, if there's a feeling you have, if you're kind of squirming in your seat a little, you feel a little uncomfortable, the conviction of God upon you, let him do what he wants to do because his conviction is always to bring us back to that place with him. Let's pray. Father, we love you today. Oh, Jesus, you are worthy. You are worthy of our lives. You are worthy of us opening our heart to allow you to shine your light so we can see where there may be pride in our life. Lord, I know we all deal with it on some level. This human nature, this flesh that we have wants to be all about ourselves. God, we know there's always that tension, there's always that struggle between our, our flesh and your spirit living in us. God, we wanna surrender ourselves today to your spirit. Holy Spirit, come. Do your work in our hearts. Do what only you can do in us, God. Lord, we repent today for the pride that we have harbored in our life, where we have set it up to where we gave you no choice but to oppose us. Lord, we wanna open ourselves up. We, we relinquish that pride. We loose it in our life. Let it go so that your grace can pour over us in a powerful, powerful way. God, help us to be diligent. Help us to be determined to deal with this, Lord. We wanna be clothed in humility. Lord, for anyone in here that's dealing with anxiety, God, would you show us the root of it, the pride that we're dealing with, God. Help us to deal with our pride so that we can deal with our anxiety, so that we can resist the enemy in our life. Lord, we are not giving the enemy any more free rides. We're taking it back. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your mercy. God, help us to take the posture of the tax collector. For we don't deserve you, God, but we thank you. We thank you that you welcome us with open arms. Hallelujah. We bless you today, Jesus. We thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you that your word tells us that you are faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse us. Oh Lord, show us what it looks like to wear humility every single day. We honor you, we glorify your holy and precious name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. We worship you today, Lord. Worship you, Lord. Hallelujah. Bless your name, Lord. Thank you, God. Lord, we thank you today that any time you deal with anything in our heart, Lord, it is always to bring us closer to you. Lord, take us to that place of intimacy, that sweet, sweet place where we're in your presence and we're, know, we're knowing your pleasure that you have with us. We're knowing your love. We're feeling, we're sensing your faithfulness in our life, God. Thank you for your mercy and your love. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen, amen. Can we praise God one more time with a hand clap? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Hallelujah. Mm, God is good, church.